Welcome to Building Astropad. I'm Matt Runge, co-founder and CEO at Astropad, and I'll be taking you behind the scenes at our company where we build software and hardware products for creative people. So if you're a creator interested in starting a business or creating your next big project, join us and let's learn together. All right. Hi, everyone. Matt here with Savannah. Hey, everyone. So today we're talking about what keeps us up at night when thinking about our Kickstarter. Our biggest fears with regards to launching a Kickstarter. You know, what are some of the things that we worry about? Are these things that we should be worrying about? And how do you mitigate some of those fears? So we kind of wanted to talk through that today. And I know you had a lot of questions you wanted to ask. Yeah. Yeah. I'm wondering like what fears are worth spending our energy on, like worth worrying about when you're up at night. So, you know, we compiled a whole list of these fears and I just want to talk through them and, and hear more from you about, yeah, what, what we're doing as a team to mitigate them. So really focusing on, you know, the Kickstarter campaign itself and promoting it and launching it and all of that. So the first thing that came to mind is launching a Kickstarter during a very uncertain time in the world. So we're we're a few months out from launching a Kickstarter and 2020 has just been nothing like anyone ever imagined. Lots of curveballs and you know, I've been worrying about like is is it a good time to have a Kickstarter? So what do you think about that, Matt? Yeah, that's something I certainly was worried about early on, especially when the pandemic first hit. And it was like, oh man, we're going to try to do a Kickstarter this year. Like what, you know, what does this mean for our, our plans? Do we need to push things out further? The one good thing for us is our products are really good for remote work. So we've actually seen an uptick in interest in what we do. So we're lucky in that regard. But for other products, like say you were making like, mm, I don't know, office furniture, you know, something for like a corporate office, like now, now would not be a good time, right? Like nobody's in the office right now. Everybody's at home. So that'd be pretty hard to get around. I mean, the other thing too is, yeah, with all the economic uncertainty, are people interested in backing Kickstarters? And it seems like the answer is yes still. Yeah. From what we've seen and from what we've heard from both... I mean, I think we've heard a little bit from both Kickstarter and Indiegogo. Yeah, I think, I mean, from what I've heard back in March when, you know, everything was looking really uncertain, it sound like, sounded like Kickstarter was expecting a big drawback in, you know, the number of campaigns and people interested in funding these campaigns. But from talking with friends that, you know, work for some of these companies, it sounds like crowdfunding hasn't slowed down too much. And I mean, I have my own theories about that. Like part of me wonders, you know, maybe this is a time for a lot of creativity for people. And so they, you know, while people have more time on their hands, are they launching more products and and going to crowdfunding platforms in order to do that? But I'm not too worried about now that crowdfunding is you know, not the way to go. It's less of a concern, but I, for a while, I was concerned that people just wouldn't be wanting to spend their money. But I think what we've seen through, you know, selling Luna for Mac on Shopify, 
it seems like people are willing to spend money on things that are going to make their life better during this really strange time. So if they're working from home and they want a second monitor, you know, it seems worth it to spend money on on Luna display because it'll help them with their workspace. But I think you kind of have to like read the room a little bit or like read your look into your industry and take a hard look at like, does it fit with the times or not? Yeah, definitely. I think it's very industry specific because for us, you know, we're, a lot of ours are like productivity and creativity tools and those are have gone well with with what's going on. I could also see totally different industries like games, for example. Like there's a lot of board games on Kickstarter. I could see those doing really, really well right now. Yeah, or puzzle. Are, yeah. yeah, puzzles. Yeah, that'd be another great one because people are at home. They're trying to find something to do. And yeah, they're looking to board games and other other things to to fill their time. I could see something like, say, like really high-end like luxury goods or you know certain categories like that. Like suitcases you know, for travel. Suitcases for travel. Yeah, that'd be a terrible one. Also, another one I saw they actually just filed for bankruptcy was Men's Warehouse. Now, obviously, you're not going to get a suit on Kickstarter. Well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there are some suits on Kickstarter. I don't know. But, you know, that kind of stuff. Like, nobody's going to an office. Nobody's wearing a suit. Nobody's, like, it's just not a good industry to be in. So you really have to figure out, like, how how does it fit with the times? Thankfully, we didn't really have to do anything. Our, our products are already already a good fit with working from home. Yeah. And the other, the other part of this uncertainty is timing your Kickstarter around, you know, major events going on in the world. So... You know, we're in August right now. We're looking at having a Kickstarter in the next few months. And I'm thinking about the holidays, Black Thanksgiving, Black Friday, Christmas, all of the December holidays, and also having a major presidential election in November. I'm worried about squeezing in our Kickstarter between all of these major things. What do you what do you think about that? Yeah, totally. I mean, there's always that that factor too. And we've also since we operate in the tech industry too, we've also need to work around major tech press events as well. You know, in our case, Apple announces an iPhone or there's some new big conference announcing Google announcing all sorts of new stuff. Like that's also something we need to be aware of. Actually, and I believe yeah, we'll have to see. Even like this year, speaking of Apple, do they do they announce the iPhones in September or is it October? Because there's talk that that's been pushed back. So that's also something you know we have to be aware of. Fortunately, there's no easy answers there, other than try to avoid them as best you can. And there can always be one of those black swan events where something crazy happens during your Kickstarter event, or Kickstarter. And I mean, there's no way you could have planned for it, right? Yeah, it's so out of your control that it's like. <laughs> It's not worth worrying about some of those things that are just unpredictable. But for something like an election, a presidential election, you know, we've decided, okay, we don't want to be running a Kickstarter campaign during the presidential election. Like we don't want it to go over those days. And so we'll work around that, whether it means hopefully doing it before or after the election, but we just don't want to have to compete with you know, these major events going on. The other thing I'll say too is, you know, we found from doing lots of launches too, there never is a perfect time. And so like, it makes sense to delay a little bit or to work your schedule a little bit to go around major events, things like, yeah, like the presidential election. But otherwise, if you're looking for the, you know, maximum perfect time 
it's just not going to happen. It doesn't exist. Yeah, yeah, it's not worth delaying. It's better to just get out there, get going, just launch it. Yeah. So the next fear is probably one that many people share if they're if they're getting ready to launch a Kickstarter campaign, and that is, what if we don't reach our goal? Oh my gosh, that's that's a scary <laughs> one, and. You know, this is our second Kickstarter. We're going into our second Kickstarter. And so I don't know. I feel a little more confident this time around. But the first Kickstarter that we had, oh my gosh, there was totally a fear that we weren't going to reach our goal of, I think it was $30,000. We just didn't know enough going into it. So I don't know. How do you grapple with that? Yeah, I certainly had that that fear the first time we did a Kickstarter as well. Thankfully, we were able to shoot past that goal. And it was not a problem at all, but very much so concerned about that. And I mean, anytime you you launch something, put something out in the public, there's there's this fear of public failure, right? Like I launched this Kickstarter and I wasn't able to get it funded. The reality though is I was thinking of something from actually social psychology that talks about the spotlight effect. And the spotlight effect is the idea that you think other people care a lot more about what you're doing than they actually do. A good example of it is, let's say you're you're eating dinner at a restaurant somewhere and you spill a bunch of ketchup on your shirt and you're walking around after that and you're like super embarrassed. You're like, oh my God, I, got, I have this ketchup on it. Everybody's probably staring at this. I feel so stupid. But then the thing is, is when they've done like studies and they they interview people, they'll set up scenarios like this and then they'll interview people most people won't hardly pay any attention or they won't even notice it. So what is really standing out to you, because of course you're, each of our worlds, you know, we're revolves around ourselves, right? So we're thinking of everything in, from, in, in terms of ourselves. It's actually not as big of a deal as you might fear. So what might be a total devastating, feel like a total devastating failure to you and feel like, yeah, publicly embarrassing. You know what? Other people are probably not going to pay that much attention to it. They're not going to think too much about it. If it was to happen, that it wasn't to get backed all the way. Mm -hmm. So it's worth getting out there. It's worth stretching yourself and launching it. And the biggest thing you can do to prevent not hitting your goal is preparation, is building your audience ahead of time. Like prep is much, there's huge amount of prep that goes into it. And especially if you don't have an existing audience, you need to start even earlier to be building an email list to be able to rocket your Kickstarter out the gate. Yeah, and getting to know the customers that you're hoping to serve with your product, getting to know what, they, what they're looking for in a product. I mean, that's if you listen to their feedback, that's the best way that you're going to build a product that people are interested in. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, it's better just to, to launch and get that feedback and, and maybe you learn some things. Maybe you don't meet it, the goal, but you learn a bunch of stuff and you can try launching again right? Like it's, you're going to learn a lot. You're even going to learn more about the market too. What about your idea did or didn't appeal to people as well? Now, ideally you've done some of this ahead of time before the Kickstarter, but the reality is you don't really know for sure whether somebody likes your product until they have to put money down on the table because you can talk to them about it ahead of time and you can get a general idea what they think of it, but until they actually have to pay for it, that's when you really find out do they like it? Do they actually want it? 
Yeah, you should be using your campaign as market validation, market proof. Like, do people want this enough? And if you have a $30,000 campaign goal and you only make $10,000, then that should be a sign to you that maybe the market isn't ready for this, people aren't interested in this, or you have to do more refinements or change your messaging so that you are selling the product that people want. But you know, it's better to find that out sooner rather than later. Like imagine if you weren't doing a Kickstarter campaign and you did a whole production round on your product and spent a ton of money and then tried to launch it and no one bought it. That would be pretty painful. And so Kickstarter is a pretty cool way to get that market validation where, you know, you can you can see if people want it before you ever place that product order. Yeah, definitely. So do you have anything else that you want to add about market validation? No, you know, the big thing was just really, yeah, do your prep ahead of time, do as much preparation as you can, build up your your audience ahead of time and get out there and launch it. Don't don't worry so much about the fear of what other people are gonna think, you know. That's at least something I feel like I've learned also from a lot of different product launches as well. Mm-hmm. So this next fear on our list is something that's been a topic of discussion lately internally on the Astropad team, and that is coordinating our launch, our Kickstarter launch timeline with our engineering timeline for the product. It's really, it's been really difficult to get these lined up and moving at the same pace, like kind of marketing and engineering moving parallel at the same pace. So how do you mitigate that that fear and that risk? Oh, this is a really hard one. This is a really, really hard one. And I don't think there are any easy answers here. I mean, the one thing for sure is you have to have a viable prototype before you can go to Kickstarter. I mean, that's even one of Kickstarter's rules. You can't you can't launch the project without without a prototype. And for us too, is like we're not going to launch anything on Kickstarter until we're very sure that what we're doing is going to work. And it's something also that we're going to, in our case, because we do hardware, it's something we're going to be able to manufacture. Once we've done that, then we can go ahead and launch a Kickstarter. And one thing we've done internally just recently that that I think has helped is uncoupling the marketing and engineering timelines a bit. So once we have a proof of concept, we're like, okay, this can work. Okay, marketing is free to go and, and launch launch a Kickstarter on, on potentially a, a separate timeline. Now, how does that work with delivering though? That means that we need to allow more time then to fulfill the Kickstarter. And that's okay. You know, ideally you want a really short fulfillment window on the Kickstarter, but you know, it better to underpromise and overdeliver mm-hmm. than than the other way around. And a big reason why we decided to uncouple those timelines is because we were kind of like what we talked about earlier. We were looking at the fall and everything that's going to be going on in the world. And it's like, okay, we're either going to launch a Kickstarter before all of these major events in the fall, or it's going to be like, we have to hold it off or hold off on it until 2021. And For us, we felt like it's better to just get it out there. And so I think, like you mentioned, it's important to make sure that you've hit enough engineering milestones that 
you feel confident on delivering your product eventually because, and that's for your own benefit, because if you can't deliver on that, that's going to come back and hurt your brand and your reputation as a company. You know, you can't sell these products and then, and then not deliver on that. So much of your company's reputation is riding on whether or not you can follow through on these Kickstarter campaigns. So there's been many horror stories about that too, about campaigns not delivering. I mean, that is a fear that I think you should worry about when launching yeah. a Kickstarter campaign. Like, am I actually going to be able to deliver this? And am I going to be able to deliver it in the time frame I'm talking about? But you you kind of have to strike a careful balance between having enough engineering, you know, technologically strong foundation for your product. But also if let's say you, you aren't really sure about the market for your product, you don't want to spend so much time on ironing out every single engineering detail before you've launched your campaign. Because if, you know, your campaign isn't funded, then you know, you've kind of spent a lot of time ironing out these little details that in the end weren't contributing to your campaign. So it's a fine balance that you have to strike. But at a certain point, yeah, I think it was important for us to uncouple those timelines for us from our marketing and engineering teams because we feel confident enough that we know we can deliver, but we don't want to be held back anymore from just launching the campaign. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and there is a, a really a sweet spot, like you, like you said, between enough of a prototype to know you can do it and not too far along where you're not completely getting too far ahead of yourself before it's been funded. Yeah. Another thing that, you know, keeps me up at night or something that I worry about is nailing our product messaging. So for us, for our next Kickstarter campaign, We are launching a product that already exists, but we're launching it for a new market. So we've sold Luna Display for Mac, but now we're launching it for Windows. And we've been learning that Windows users are pretty different from Mac users. So that's been another fear of mine is you know, really nailing that product messaging so that when people come to our Kickstarter page, they know that this product is for them and how it can benefit them. And I would say this is something to definitely worry about. Like mm-hmm. this is something that it's good to put a lot of time into, to think a lot about. You know, and it's so hard for, you know, a creator that's been working on their project for, you know, it could be potentially years you've been working on it. And so you live and breathe whatever it is. In our case, it's Luna and Astropad. We're just so familiar with those products and what they do. It's hard for us to be on the outside looking in. It really is. So it's hard to figure out what is going to be that product messaging that's going to make sense. Yeah, but this product messaging piece is something that you don't have to leave up to chance. Like There are so many things that you can do to make sure that you get this piece right. And I think one of the most important ones is just talking to your potential customers, whether that's through running surveys, but also just 
like sliding into their DMs. I've been doing that lately. I've been talking with artists who are using Windows and I've just been reaching out to them over email and Twitter and and hearing more about like what their workflow looks like and why they decide to use Windows over Mac. And I've learned so much just from having those conversations. And it's easy to get wrapped up in, you know, the day-to-day like business stuff, things that you have to do on your to-do list, but you should always make time to talk to customers because you'll learn so much about how you can how you can position and set up your product messaging. Yeah, so true. That's never wasted time. Never, yeah. never, never. Yeah, even just recently, like I was emailing some Lunar Display customers, just randomly picking some to email them. And, you know, I thought I thought I knew most things Lunar Display related. And then you're always surprised, you know. The other thing we've done when doing a product launch, doing a Kickstarter launch that's been helpful is, you know, showing the messaging to somebody you trust, but maybe somebody that's not as familiar with the day-to-day, you know, maybe a friend or a family member or a significant other, or maybe somebody that's not as familiar with it and show it to them and like ask like, okay, what does this mean to you? You know, and Mm -hmm. see, do they get the, do they get the right message out of it? Or they might tell you right away that doesn't make any sense. And that's why it's great when it's somebody you really trust because somebody that is willing to tell you like, I don't get what you're, what you're trying to, you know, explain to me. Yeah, totally. That's a really good point, Matt. I do that all the time. Like if we have a, a first draft for our, next campaign video or something like I send that out to my siblings or I show it to my boyfriend and I make sure that it passes their test because they know enough about the products, but they're not living and breathing it. And so they'll be honest with me. Like if they think something doesn't make sense or if we need to change our wording, like they'll tell me. So always get a third or another perspective on this outside of your team. Yeah. So another fear of mine, this has actually been a pretty big one over the last few months, is around our email list. So we know that our email list is going to be a big driver for our Kickstarter. And I worry about, is our email list big enough to launch the Kickstarter? At what point am I going to feel confident enough in that the size of that email list to press go? And probably I'll never feel confident. I was, you know? was going to say that. <laughs> right? Like you could always wish it was yeah. bigger. Always, yeah. So I don't know. What do you think about that, Matt? Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. We've got so on the list that we've been building based off our website for the past year, we have over 10,000 emails now, which is pretty wild. Like a year ago, I, you know, that seemed like an insurmountable goal. Mm -hmm. And those are people who aren't current customers, but they're just interested in our products on Windows. So they're waiting for us to go to Windows. And yeah, we've just been chipping away at building that list over the past year. Yeah. And if you told me a year ago, we were going to have 10,000, I'd be like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. But now in the moment, it's like, oh, we need more. We need more. Right. Yeah. It's the same thing. I'm not satisfied. I'm like 30,000. We need 30,000. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, yeah, it's, it's never, it's never enough. And ultimately at some point you just got to go with what you have. You just got to launch. You just got to go. You know, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. There's no perfect time. There's no perfect email list size. There's no perfect 
stage in the engineering process, there's no, you know, it's like balancing all these trade-offs because you don't want to procrastinate on it. You know, it's easy to keep pushing it off into the future and never do it. So it's, yeah, I mean, again, this is something that's probably good to be a little anxious about. Good to have a little fire in our belly about it, to keep pushing, to keep getting more emails, to keep getting new creative ideas on how we can grow the list, you know? And I think, I think that makes sense for any any project. The the bigger the list, the better, you know, within, within reason, mm-hmm. you know, because you want some quality. Yeah, that was what I was going to add is, you know, the quality of your email leads are going to be more important than the quantity. So we talked about this in our episode about growing your email list. But, you know, if you went out and purchased some random email list of 100,000 emails, those aren't necessarily quality leads because those people haven't expressed interest in your product already. And so, you know, it's it's worth it to spend time putting in the work to nurture quality leads. And for us, you know, we've been running ads on Facebook and Instagram to collect email leads, like showing people, you know, product shots of of Luna display on Windows and and people that show interest join our mailing list. And to me, those are going to be very high quality emails because they really went out of their way to get on a waiting list for our, for our product. And so quality over quantity for sure. And yeah, when it comes to the email list, you'll never feel ready, but definitely not something that you can save for the last minute. You should be thinking about that months before you launch your Kickstarter campaign. Well, thinking about our next Kickstarter and, you know, trying to reach our our campaign goal, a fear of mine is one of two things. If we just barely surpass our campaign goal. So let's say we we plan for $30,000 and let's say we raise $35,000. Or another fear of mine is if we do less than our previous Kickstarter. So we raised, you know, about $650,000 in our last Kickstarter and it would it would definitely hurt my ego a little bit if we raised anything less than that which i know there are just so many variables here but yeah it would be it would be tough to swallow so what do you think about that matt yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. It's on an those. ego it's, thing for yeah, sure. It's totally, it's totally an ego thing. I mean, we could have, you know, realistically, let's say we our next Kickstarter campaign, you know, we're like four hundred, five hundred thousand dollars. That's still a huge success, and it's really, yeah, it's just our ego that gets bruised at that point. And yeah, <laughs> it would just work to try to outdo what we we did before. We just had, we just did a lot of things right. In the, in the first Kickstarter campaign. And as we talked about early on, it's a different time right now. I mean, there's a global recession. There's a global pandemic. The world is in a very different place right now. So it's like, can we expect to, I, I don't know. I don't know what to spec, expect, to be honest. So I don't either. And I think, <laughs> I think these are two fears where it's like, eh, not worth spending energy exactly. on worrying about these. Focus that energy on like growing your mailing list or talking to customers, but yeah. Yeah. Those are the tactical things you can do to try to make sure that, you know, we blow away our last campaign. Otherwise, yeah. And the barely surpassing our goal too, like that was something I was really 
concerned about the first time around too. Because here's a dirty little secret of many Kickstarter campaigns. The public goal and the internal goal, like there's can be very different. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, Kickstarter is, in, is set up in such a way now that you really need momentum. You really need to blow away that initial goal. And so you might have like a bare minimum goal, but internally, like, let's say it's, I don't know, I'm just going to make up some numbers here, but let's say it's 30,000 for the goal publicly. And, you know, that covers some of the the expenses to actually manufacture the product, some of the molds and other things that are needed. But that might be kind of like a, a break-even spot, right? And it may be that for it to really be worthwhile, you may need a hundred or 150,000, right? And that's not listed as public goal. And you probably don't want to list that as the public goal because it's going to be really hard to hit that goal quickly. And you want a goal that can be hit quickly so you can show momentum so that it attracts attention. So that's the that's the secret, the, kind of the secret with a lot of Kickstarter campaigns is they may have very different internal goals. So there's kind of this danger zone between the two where it's like, yes, we surpassed the public goal. So we need to, it's backed, we need to fulfill it, but it's not quite to where we had hoped, right? And that was a concern of mine with the first Kickstarter. So thankfully it didn't happen, but I knew it was going to be a lot of work for us to manufacture. And so it was like, if we just barely, if, you know, in that case, you know, we'd, we make it to 40, $50,000 and yes, our, we surpassed our goal of 30,000. But at that point for us as a company, it, w- it would have been really hard to turn it into a sustainable product. And so that's, you know, that's something. And again, there's nothing, there's nothing you can do about it really, other than those tactical things we we talked about. You know, it's like what you were saying, Savannah, you probably don't want to worry too much directly on that. Instead, take that energy, spend it towards building a, a mailing list, towards prepping your launch process, building relationships with press and journalists, like, you know, do tactical things that they can actually move the needle. Mm-hmm. So kind of along those lines, there's also the fear of, you know, what if we launch and the press doesn't cover our campaign? I think this fear is one that falls in in between of like, there are some tactical things that you can do to help you get press, but also a lot of this is out of your control. Going back to what we were saying earlier about press cycles and events going on in the world that can just pop up. So I don't know, it kind of falls in the middle of those two. But one thing that we've been doing on our team, you know, to prepare for getting press for our campaign is so we ran a survey with that email list of 10,000 people who are interested in our product. And we surveyed them and asked them where they, what news sites they read when it comes to tech, like where do they get Windows news and what sort of like Windows reviews do they read? And so we have a list of you know, 20 news sites of, you know, that our our potential customers go to. And when it comes time to launch, we will go to those news sites first to promote our campaign. And that's because we know that our product will resonate with their readers. And so we'll have a better chance of getting press in that regard. But 
like we said, <laughs> there's there's a lot that can happen unexpectedly. And so you can't worry too much about about the press thing. Yeah, that's a really good point about the surveys. You know, that's a really smart way to figure out what audiences, you, sh- you know, what press outlets you should be talking to. The other thing I'd say is it's not like you just have one chance as well. You can try to contact the press before your Kickstarter launches, but you might have trouble getting traction at that point with the press. They might they might ignore you. So you can come back to them after it's been backed and tell them how quickly it was backed and how much demand there is for it and how excited people are. Maybe it catches on then, or maybe it doesn't. And try again towards the end of your campaign. Right? Yeah, maybe when it's like the last 48 hours of your campaign, you go back to your press contacts and and maybe then it's like your campaign is doing well and these sites want to cover like, oh, this this campaign is closing in 48 hours, like back it while you have a chance. So Yeah, because early on when Kickstarter was first around, you know, a lot of, for us, I speak a lot about the, the tech industry because we're in the tech industry. And a lot of projects on Kickstarter are also in the tech industry. But early on when Kickstarter first launched, you'd see press outlets just covering Kickstarter projects, just any Kickstarter projects. But now there are so many Kickstarter projects out there that it really needs to be exceptional in some way, like really a very unique idea or incredible traction or showing how quickly you got to your goal. You know, there's got to be something kind of stand out about it. And so, you know, yeah, keep your eyes out for those and figure out what really sets you apart that's going to help you grab that press attention. Even if you're not able to get press, you can still do a lot through user communities out there specific to whatever niche you're in and the Kickstarter platform itself too. Mm -hmm. So do you want to talk a little bit about delivering your product? I was thinking that if we save that for another one, like you were saying. Yeah, I think. I think that'd be... Yeah, we probably got like, yeah, so. Okay. Yeah, well, we can jump back and then. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I think those are the, our top fears. I mean, there are a lot of them or a lot of fears on that list. But, you know, I really think you can narrow it down to just a handful of them that are worth spending your energy on. Like we said, growing your email list, talking to customers, you know, making sure that your technology is in a good spot before you launch. And so many of these are just going to be out of your control. And so it's not worth worrying about them and spending energy on that. And you should just probably get your product out there, get your campaign out there. Yeah, totally. And the other one I'd add to that too, is working on your messaging, working on your Mm -hmm. your product messaging, because that is within your control. You can, you can make that better. You can talk to people. You can figure out how to communicate what's unique about your product. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. It's like get out there and launch. Don't wait for the perfect timing or the perfect conditions. You know, do your best. But ultimately, you need to launch. Yeah, so hopefully some of these fears resonated with you if you're you're thinking about doing a Kickstarter project. And we'd be curious to hear if there's others we didn't cover that that you worry about leading up to a Kickstarter project. I think we'll have to do another another episode once our Kickstarter campaign is closed about, you know, the actual like product side of your campaign, delivering your product and finally getting into getting it into customers' hands and what are what are some of the fears that come with that? Because there's a whole other side of this besides just marketing your campaign. And so we'll have to have a part two of the fears that keep us up at night. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, that sounds good because there's the pre-launch Kickstarter fears and then there's the what happens after you're, you've successfully completed the Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. And so that's, uh, that'd be a good episode in itself. Actually, we could probably do multiple episodes on that. Just, yeah. Especially for physical products, manufacturing and yeah, but yeah, but yeah. Well, should we wrap it up with any book recommendations? Have you, have you been reading anything new lately? Yeah. So I do have a book recommendation and the, the name is terrible. But it's a really good book if you're trying to figure out your your product's messaging. And that's Cashvertising by Drew Eric Whitman. And it talks a lot about copywriting. And copywriting is key with your, your product messaging. And it's key for a Kickstarter as well. So I read that one recently. And I was really, despite the cover and the title, I was, but I, I was suspicious. But I've been recommended enough times. I was like, you know, I really got to give it a try. And I'm really thankful I did. I was highlighting so much stuff as I was reading it. So definitely check that out if you're working on copywriting and, and product messaging. Yeah, I'll have to check that one out. I Copywriting has been, yeah, a big focus lately on the marketing team as we've been, you know, putting together landing page and pages and working on our Kickstarter page. So I don't know. We're trying to spice it up with, with the copywriting. So any book recommendation on your side with copywriting? Well, I've had that that copywriter's handbook sitting on my desk for a while and I'll I'll kind of just cuz you don't have to read it cover to cover, you can just kind of pick it up and, you know, read little chunks of it at a time. So that's been a good one to to keep on my desk for a while. So Nice. And that was the copywriter's handbook. Mhm. I'll have to check that one out as well. Yeah. One I haven't. All right. Well, thanks Savannah. Yeah, thank you. So it's fun. Yeah, until next time. Bye-bye.